Money gives women voices and choices. Manisha Talker's mom, the founder of Money Zen. She used to deliver babies, but now she delivers exceptional wellness for women. Welcome to her brilliant health radio, where holistic women's health expert and board certified OBGYN, Dr. Kieran Dunstan, shares revolutionary insight from leading experts on what you need to know today to treat the root cause of disease, heal, and create the radiant health you've been searching for. Lean in and get ready to experience the bountiful, blissful, and beautiful vitality that you deserve. Welcome back, beautiful goddess. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Her Brilliant Health Radio. I hope you enjoyed Manisha Thakur from Money Zen's interview last week and are really starting to understand how your money is related to your physical health. I so much enjoyed opening the portal for you on this relationship and look forward to learning how you benefit from this new information. As I stated at the beginning, money truly does give women voices and choices. The truth is that without financial and health resources, it's very difficult to get your voice heard or to have many choices in life. Today, we're going to work on getting you more of a voice and more choices. But first, a note of gratitude to you for listening and to listener Layla Bialy, who shared her review on social media recently. Layla says, thank you. I enjoyed your talk. Very intelligent and science-based. My sister is an MD as well, who also appreciates complimentary medicine. Thank you for your feedback, Layla, and for sharing your opinion with the world. It helps other women needing this information to find me. Also, a note of gratitude to my friend and colleague, Lyme and Mystery Illness Specialist, Dr. Tom Moorcroft, who wrote, Kieran is a deeply compassionate and empathetic physician and healer. She dives deep to find out what each patient needs to unlock optimal health and inspires them to take charge of their health so they can live an amazing and healthy life. She's so inspiring. Highly recommended. Thank you so much, Tom. If you spot it, you got it. And we are in the Mutual Admiration Club, as I think he is equally as wonderful. If you're listening and you haven't yet written a review for the podcast, I welcome you to, to do so. Would you be willing to take 60 seconds right now to pause this episode, go to iTunes or my Facebook page and write a quick review that will help other women needing this information to find us? It's one way to pay it forward. I never knew how much Google reviews mattered or reviews in general until Google started notifying me when people rated my review of things as being helpful. One review I gave on Google has gotten over 300 positive ratings. I get a message whenever someone rates it as being helpful. Yes, that's just how important they are. What will yours say? There's no time like the present to do it and find out. Write what you would say to your best friend who needs this information. Why should she listen? That's what you need to write. In this episode, more Money Zen is on the way with Manisha Thakur. Last week, we got into the energy of money and how it relates to your health. We talked about the be, do, have versus have, do, be philosophy of wealth and well-being. 
And how many women spend their health getting wealth thinking it was an expendable resource that could be regained at any time? Then they come to me with health issues that may or may not be reversible only to learn that there are some health issues that no amount of money, time, or attention will reverse. Please do not be that woman. If you're here, then you are likely not that woman, and I'm grateful for that. But if you are that woman, get help sooner rather than later. In this episode, Manisha delves into the ABCs of wealth creation, or I should say the one, two, threes, and management so that you can have a voice and choices, what to do, when, how much. Whether you have a huge nest egg or none at all, she's got the info on how to start, how much to do, and where you need to be. There are some hard truths today, I'm just going to be honest, but there's also a lot of hope. I sometimes shy away from learning about money and finances because, frankly, as long as it flows easily, I don't want to get bogged down into the details. I imagine that many of you may feel the same, not only about finances, but your health. A lot of us put our heads in the sand when it comes to finances and health. I'd much rather do a coffee enema than a profit and loss statement, TBH, but that's just my comfort zone. Many women I encounter are so unfamiliar and uncomfortable with their bodies that the thought of any type of enema sends them into hiding. So it's my job to coax you out of hiding, to become familiar and loving towards your body so that it can heal. And as I shared last week, that means looking at your P&Ls too. Your money is energy reflecting in your life, just like that energy reflects in your health. It's all connected. It's all related. Your money is your health and your health is your money. So let's get into this week's episode. First, I'll tell you again about how great Manisha is. Manisha Takor, CFA, CFP, is a nationally renowned financial literacy advocate for women. Her work has been featured in media outlets, including The Wall Street Journal, PBS, NPR, CNN, Women's Health, and Real Simple. Manisha sits on the board of the National Endowment for Financial Education and is on faculty at the Omega Institute's Women's Leadership Center. She is also the co-author of two personal finance primers for young women called On My Own Two Feet and Getting Financially Naked. Manisha earned her MBA from Harvard Business School and her BA from Wellesley College. Her website is moneyzen.com. So let yes, let's circle back. I love that financial hygiene. What are, you said five steps, I believe, to fa- financial hygiene, yeah. The first one has a direct analogy to health. Generally speaking, you don't want to take in significantly more calories than you're expending. And it's the exact same thing with your money. Start with don't spend more than you earn. That sounds really simple, but that's where most people go off the rails right off the bat. And it often starts with student loans, Um, going to school, taking out student loans that will result in a debt burden that is so high relative to the profession you've chosen that you will, there's no amount of money you can make given the economics of the industry you've chosen that will enable you to pay off that debt and be able to buy a house and be able to fund your kid's college and be able to fund your retirement. One of those other goals is going to have to go out the wazoozle, if not two. So when I say spend less than you earn, I mean right out of the gate. 
Another thing that I see is people looking at their neighbors in their orbit to decide what seems right and normal. And that used to work when our parents would have gone to buy their first house. They wouldn't have been allowed to take out a mortgage that was more than they could comfortably afford to pay back because the bank kept that mortgage on their books. So they wanted to make darn sure that you were not going to default because you took it out from your local bank. Now you take out a mortgage, it gets sliced and diced, packaged, sold in the marketplaces. No one cares if you default. So the bank will loan you the maximum amount that you can possibly take on um, because I know you'll do almost anything to keep your house. So when I say don't spend more, I'm not just talking about don't drink lattes, don't get your nails done. I'm talking about these big decisions, how much to spend on education, your house. And what happens is when you look around at your neighbors and you think, how can I afford that car? I'm in the same industry with them. I could never afford that vacation or that house or that car. Well, chances are they're affording it through spending more than they have and using debt to make up the difference. So that's the first block. And it's hard because the images we get from media and other places are completely unrealistic. Last thing I'll say on this point is if you try this game, next time you're watching any police, medical, legal drama, I'm currently obsessed with watching Suits because of the whole Meghan Markle, Prince Harry thing. And if you look at the show Suits, for example, every paralegal shows up with Like there's never any frizz in her hair, never in any of them. And the show is supposed to take place in New York, oftentimes in the summer. Like who doesn't have frizz in their hair in New York in the summer, unless you're like getting multiple blowouts. I mean, if you look at the fabric and the cut and the tailoring of the clothes that they wear or the apartments that they're depicted Mm -hmm. to be living in on a paralegal salary in New York, that's not happening. And so in all these shows, and that's just one example, but I have a hunch if an economist did a study, you would have to earn 20 to 30% more than what the jobs pay that we see characters portraying on TV in order to live the way those characters we see on TV are living. I agree with you. I'm just going to second that. I Sometimes I watch movies and they have a massage therapist living in, L, in the middle of L.A. in this beautiful rehab Spanish colonial. And you're thinking, no, she can't. She can't afford that. But it does give the unrealistic view of we're suppo- we think we're supposed to have that. But that's not reality. Exactly. So rule number one, don't spend more than you have coming in. Rule number two drives that down a little bit tighter. And people hate me when I go through this. How much student loan debt can you afford to take on? You do not take out more in student loan debt than you think you will make on average in the first 10 years after graduating. So when you're a doctor or a lawyer or an MBA, the earnings trajectory can be very steep. And that's why it's an average of the first 10 years. But there are plenty of professions. My mom is a a teacher, a great teacher, but her salary increases with inflation. She teaches at a state school. And so I see people going into social work, which is a vital function in society, but coming out of school with $70,000 in debt. And if you're going to be earning maybe max, max $50,000 in that role, there is no way you can pay off that $70,000 in debt in any reasonable amount of time because it's it's going to take you 15 or 20 years to pay that off with interest. 
So the idea is you don't take on more in student loan debt than what you think you'll earn on average in your first 10 years. And what that math does is it says, if you set aside 10% of your income each year, depending on your interest rate, you'll get that paid off in 15 or so years, which isn't great, but anything bigger than that is horrifying. And then the second rule on homes, people really want to bot me on this one, is you do not want to buy a home that is more than three, max four times your annual household income unless you are prepared to make significant reductions in other areas of your life. And if you live on the east or the west coast, to have safe housing, you almost always have to spend more than three to four times your household income, which then means you need to cut back elsewhere. The math behind that is when you back into a 20% down payment and you average together what you property tax, insurance, maintenance, et cetera, at a number higher than four times your household income, you will be spending more than a third of your take-home pay on housing. And if you spend more than a third of your take-home pay on housing, there's not a whole lot left. And then the last one is a car. You shouldn't spend more than a third of your annual income on a car. So I meet people making $50,000 driving a $30,000 car, and they wonder why they can't save. It's because they're driving it. And the math behind that is that when you factor in a 20% down payment, insurance, gas, tolls keep at the one-third of your income, that's eating up 10% of your take-home. So right there, using those two rules, which people won't like on home and car, I've just shown you 40% of your take-home pay. And then if you add on student loans, even following my rule, we're now at 50% of your take-home pay. And we haven't talked about food or insurance or vacations or charitable giving or saving for the future. Just in those three words or three phrases, education, home, car, I've now sucked up 50% of your take-home pay. This is why it's not a trite saying to say, don't spend more than you can earn or don't spend more than what's realistic than your earnings power. So that's the first point. And the second point is to bring it down to more granularity. There's a third point. Mm-hmm. I can keep going. If keep you going. Are. I'm listening. Right. I'm okay. paying attention. The third point is comes from actually Elizabeth Warren back in her days when she was a bankruptcy professor at Harvard Law School. She wrote a book with her daughter and essentially it's called All Your Worth. And she was taking a look at families who made it through life's bumpy patches, oftentimes health driven and were financially okay. And she found that those who were fouled what she called the balance spending formula, which is 50, 30, 20. And what it says is, Roughly speaking, of your your take-home pay, 50% goes towards needs, 20 or 30% goes to wants, 20% goes to future savings, split between near-term needs and then retirement. Now, you just saw how I rapidly filled up that 50% bucket on yes. needs and I didn't even put any food in there. And that's why you need to be so careful about how much home, car, and education you buy. Um, the other pieces that go into needs are insurance, healthcare. health insurance, health. exactly, health care, and any food and any mandatory child care that you need in order to work. 
And the thing that people need to understand is having a guest bedroom does not count as a need. Having the home cinema in your house or the home gym area in your house does not count as a need. So when you're looking at your housing, you have to have, you know, I grew up, there were four of us. We lived in an 1800 square foot home. We all we all turned out fine, you know, right. uh, no one lost live. We're all thriving. And so our conception of what we need to have is very different. You don't need a new car. You can buy a two-year-old used uh, certified dealer owned used car, a very nice car at, you know, 60% off mm-hmm. the new car price. So when I talk about needs, you have to discern some of those needs have w- wants sucked into them. But you can keep your needs to 50% if you're realistic. And if you want those other things, then they come out of your wants. But Mm -hmm. your wants are all the other fun stuff. So if you allocate some of that wants to having the home theater or the fancier car or the newer car, then that means there's less for dinners out or less for vacations or less... We all have a pie that's 100. You get mm-hmm. to slice it however you want. Mm-hmm. But if you do not keep your needs and your wants combined to less than 80%, so you have 20% left for savings, the math just is not going to work for retirement. You need to be saving at least 10% starting right out the gate mm-hmm. for retirement. And the other 10% is to build up your emergency fund, nearer term needs like a down payment on a home or a car. Maybe if you want to save for your kids to go to college, once you complete those nearer term needs, then the 10% that was going towards that shifts into retirement so that by the time you're 50, like me, the whole 20% is going towards retirement. And what I'll say about this, people are like, Misha, what are you smoking? There's no way (laughs) I can save 20% for retirement. And so last thing I want to say on this is here's the deal. People used to, Social Security kicked in at 65 because people used to die at 63. I mean, like the idea was that Social Security was around to um, catch you if you happen to live past. Nowadays, we live My dad retired at at 52. He's in his early 80s. My dad has been in retirement as long as he was working. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, he follow these rules. So he and my mom are fine, but he, you basically, for each year that you work, you are funding not just that year of work, but potentially as much as a year in retirement. And the only way you can make that work is set that money aside and let it start growing and the snowball rolling as early as you can. And that's why the 20% number is shocking, but it's real. And it's real again, because we could live as many years in retirement as we did while we were working. Did you know that you can get my personal attention on your medical concerns by scheduling a consultation with me, no matter where you live in the U.S.? Yep, that's right. You'll get the answers that you need when I focus my 20 plus years of experience, board certification and fellowship training in functional medicine directly on your health concerns and identify the root causes of why you're not well and exactly what you need to do to get well. Whether you're suffering with overweight and fatigue, brain fog, hormonal imbalance, IBS or autoimmune disease, hair loss or the big three, high blood pressure, cholesterol and diabetes, I've got answers for you. 
You don't have to suffer with chronic health conditions, symptoms, or continuing drug treatments that don't actually fix the underlying problem. There are reasons why you're having the health challenges that you're now facing. We will uncover those reasons together when we work one-on-one with a personalized approach, and I'll lead you through a plan to correct them and get you feeling great in your own skin again. Use the link on my website, Kieran Dunstan, MD, to schedule a 15-minute complimentary phone consultation with me to discover how great your life will be when you conquer your health concerns. Visit KieranDunstonMD.com for more information. That's K-Y-R-I-N-D-U-N-S-T-O-N-M-D.com. Your brilliant health is waiting. You've got courses and classes that you teach. You speak lots of different places. Where would you tell people to start? And you've got your Money Zen podcast. Where would you tell people to start if they're wanting to know more? Maybe their cortisol has started going up by listening to you and they're thinking, "Mm, I need more information. I encourage people to go to MoneyZen, M-O-N-E-Y-Z-E-N, dot com where you can sign up for my monthly newsletter where I'm not selling you anything. What I'd like to do is share the most useful pieces of educational information around women's economic empowerment that I can. And I just dove in here right today with like all the dark, dreary (laughs) news. In my newsletter, we talk about the uplifting things. And one uplifting thing I want to leave folks with is the the power of baby steps is absolutely enormous. Same thing with health. If you make a slight adjustment with your eating and a slight adjustment with your exercise, together it's a geometric effect. And so spending a little bit more, earning a little bit more for a little bit longer, you may make tweaks that you think, oh, this isn't going to make a difference. Tiny tweaks make huge differences. And um, if you don't believe me, you can go to a free calculator that the New York Times has called creatively, the save 1% more calculator. And if you Google it, put in the numbers, see the power of just each year. I mean, if your savings rate is zero right now, show what it'll, it'll show you what'll happen if you commit to saving 1% more until 20 years from now, when you're finally saving 20%, you will be amazed how small steps can make dramatic differences. Yeah. And it's amazing. You know, what I used to think I needed, what my needs were to live now, what I know they were not, they, most of them were wants. Mm -hmm. And I really went on a huge financial diet several years ago and slashed everything. I did not need a luxury car. I did not need a 5,000 square foot home. I didn't need all of these things that I thought I had to have to live. And the simplicity of my life is so much more now. And I can really put my energy into giving to people through things things like this podcast, YouTube videos, and all the media that I use to get the message out of how people can improve their health, which oftentimes involves simplifying for stress reasons and decreasing costs also for stress reasons. It's huge. And the simplest way, I think when people hear that, they're like, oh my God, I got a budget. I don't don't want a budget is to do joy-based spending, which is, I'll say it really simply. All you have to do is for a weekend, if that's all you can take or a day, ideally, I'd like to see you do it for a week or a month. You just jot down everything you spend money on. You don't need to add it up at the end. And 
when you're done with that time period, you take out a, a highlighter and you highlight anything you spent money on that didn't bring you joy. And then you start looking at those items and you think, well, what can I get rid of? Because if I get rid of it, I get keep the money and I'm not giving up any joy. And when people start doing this, you know, the first step is the utility bills and, you know, the advice we've all heard a thousand times about negotiating, seeing what we can do to get our cable bills down. And I used to roll my eyes at that, but I actually did get rid of my 140 cable channels and <laughs> dropped it down to 10 and Netflix and Amazon Prime. And I have more TV choices than I need. Like it, you can simplify dramatically. Yep. I, I cut it down by two thirds. But more importantly, you start to see bigger things like, wow, my kids hate going to soccer practice. They can't stand the coach. And I hate battling traffic to drive them there. Let's just cut that cost out. Or <laughs> man, we went out to drinks with this couple and they make us feel like crap about ourselves whenever we're with them. No more drinks out with them. And then you start seeing bigger things like, wow, like that mortgage is big. And then you ask the questions that you asked yourself. And I've asked myself, do I really need all this square footage? And by doing joy-based spending, you really can identify a number of things that you're spending money on that are not giving you a return in joy and cutting them out. does It opens up energy and space for other things to come in. Some of that money you'll redirect to tango lessons. Other money you'll redirect to your increasing your 1% year or more in savings. But it's now fun in, in a way that was not done through deprivation. Yeah, I love that joy-based spending and really what what is it bringing to your life? You know, for me, one of the simplest joys that I have each day is walking my dogs. Just mm -hmm. walking my dogs outside and I'll walk and walk and walk and walk. And that's pretty much free. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it helps your health. So you've helped your finances and your health and your dog loves you more. Right. And you get to be in nature, which is great for your health yeah. and you get the exercise. And really, you know what? A good night's sleep. That's joyful. What does that cost? <laughs> really uh, not much. Yeah. No. Or chat with a girlfriend right. or any friend, you know, it's amazing. And so I really encourage people to think it, it was a movement that started in the 70s. And I think it's time we revisit it. It's called the Voluntary Simplicity Movement. And it's really this notion of being very mindful and very conscious of what we're bringing into our lives, not from a point of depriving ourselves, but from a point of clearing enough space that we can actually fully experience and appreciate and my mantra, which hit me, I spent my junior year at Oxford when I was in college and on the plane back, so it was like 1990, I wrote on a cocktail napkin, a triangle, and at the top I wrote simplicity, the bottom left-hand corner I wrote small joys, and the right-hand corner I wrote financial independence. And that really has been my guiding mantra. And every time I have been off my center, it's because I have been neglecting one of those components. In my case, it's always been because I focus too much on the financial and I neglect the simplicity and the small joys. For a lot of people I work with, they have neglected the financial so that they're unable to experience the simplicity and small joys, or they have spent too much on the financial and they have such an elaborate lifestyle that they realize 
it's not even fun because there's so much to keep up with. Yeah, being beholden to the things that you own is something that I've I've experienced. They can become a burden. You know, the bigger the house, the more responsibility it takes time and effort and money to upkeep. And same with all of the other items. And, you know, one of the practices that is really central to my teachings and the work that I do with people is gratitude. And a concept that I recently learned, I may have heard Oprah talking about this, I think, is that when you write things to be grateful for, and I usually recommend at least five a day, make them things that you do not cost money. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. It was the first time I had heard it and I thought that's fabulous because routinely when I tell people to do this gratitude journal or list, they say my house, my car, things Mm -hmm. that cost money. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to leave everyone with that thought. What are the five things that you are most grateful for that don't cost money? And maybe you could just share, Manisha, with everyone what your top one, two or three might be. My top one is I'm grateful that my family is healthy and happy. Number two is this morning having a cup of coffee with my boyfriend out the balcony as a middle-aged divorced woman, that's like a, a, a real joy too. That's a whole other conversation about online dating and, and divorce at our age. And the third thing that I feel such gratitude for is the beautiful sunshine. I live in Portland, Oregon, and when we get sun, man, am I happy for it. So. Oh, I bet. That's what I'm grateful for today. I love that. The last piece I want to leave people with is a small book that they can buy. I have no ownership interest in this at all for like 10 bucks on Amazon. It's called Investing Made Simple. And if you're getting close to retirement age, the same author wrote a book called Can I Retire? His name is Michael Piper. He's a young accountant. It is, those are the two, they're both books are less than a hundred pages. They are the two best books I've ever read about how to invest and how to figure out if you can retire. And they are exactly the advice that I would give anyone of any income level. And those are points four and five of the five tips. And I'll add that for simplicity's sake, you could take them out at the library instead of purchasing them. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) And the author would actually love that idea as he too is a huge proponent of keeping costs low and things simple. Yeah, so thank you for those tips. More information at moneyzen.com. Thank you so much, Manisha, for joining us, for sharing your holistic viewpoint, your expertise, your inspiration. It's just been wonderful having you. Thank you, and thank you for all that you do. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it on social media and send it to someone who would benefit from it. If you love the show and really want to support it, please go to iTunes, write a review and subscribe. This helps other women find us so that they too can heal and enjoy brilliant health. I've got a gift for you. If you take a screenshot of your review, Post it on your social media and tag me. I'll send you a special surprise right to your inbox. Thank you so much for joining me. And remember, healing and getting optimally healthy isn't magic, it's science.